0: or even the quality of an older person's healthcare. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Kernison. I'm a practicing geriatrician, so that means I'm a medical doctor specialized in geriatrics, which is the art and science of modifying health care so that it works better for older people and for their families. In this episode, I'm going to talk about a perennially important topic when it comes to the health of older adults, which is fall prevention. I'm recording this at the end of September. And here in the United States, the National Council on Aging recently observed Fall Prevention Awareness Day. They generally do this right around September 21st or 22nd, which marks the beginning of the fall season. And for us, also wintertime potentially brings up more falls for older adults because of wintry conditions outside. So. This seems like a good opportunity to do an episode in which I want to share with you my four most used fall prevention approaches. So there's a lot to properly helping older adults with falls, and I've gone into it in greater detail in some of the articles on the site, but there are also a couple of approaches that we just routinely rely on in geriatrics, but these are often overlooked by busy primary care providers, even though the Center for Disease Control and other expert groups have made an effort to educate PCPs and make it easier for them to provide recommended fall prevention care. In particular, a few years ago, the CDC created a website and a whole package of fall prevention materials. The idea was to create sort of a toolkit with materials to make it really easy for the average on-the-ground healthcare provider to provide the recommended fall risk evaluations and fall prevention interventions. So this is called the STEADY Initiative. It was created in consultation with the American Geriatric Society and also the British Geriatric Society. And many people don't realize that all the STEADY materials are easily available online, on the CDC website, I will certainly post a link in the show notes. So if you've been concerned about falls and you're wondering what are the right things to do, it's there on the website. And so I especially recommend taking a look at the algorithm and I'll post a link specifically to the algorithm. So that's a chart designed for healthcare providers, but you might as well take a look too. That uh, it's a flowchart that sort of outlines the key steps that healthcare providers are supposed to do, starting with screening the older person for falls by asking them three key questions, which are, have you fallen in the past year? And if the older person responds, yes, how many times were you injured? The second question is, do you feel unsteady when you're standing or walking? And the next would be, are you worried about falling? So if a person answers yes to any of those questions, they've fallen in the past year, they feel unsteady when standing or walking, or they've been worried about falling, the health provider is supposed to go on with some further assessment. That starts with evaluating gait and balance, and then also potentially assessing for some of the other risk factors, which I've described in some of the other articles, such as the article, Why Do Older Adults Fall?, which I'll share a link to on the site also. So in this podcast, I'm going to share some of my favorite fall prevention strategies. And I say favorite because they're the ones that tend to apply the most widely to all people, uh, regardless of what other health conditions or risk factors they have going on. But if you have been concerned about falls and you want to be proactive, you could actually print out that algorithm and, you know, potentially bring it in to the visit. And I say this because I know a lot of people have told me that that they fell or that their mother fell and that they went into see the doctor and that you know basically, you know, quote unquote nothing was done. So I want I want to give you tools to make it easier for you to get the care that's likely to be helpful. Now, in terms of this episode, I'm not going to cover everything that is in the study website or the American Geriatric Society's guidelines for fall prevention, because that would take a while. And in particular, I'm, I'm not going to go deeper into that first step of helping somebody who's been falling, which is to do this careful assessment to identify an older person's particular risk factors. This is on the CDC algorithm as conduct multifactorial risk assessment. So I'm not going to go into that today. But I do want to tell you about, again, those four key fall prevention approaches that I and most geriatricians use over and over again because they're so often relevant to older people and they tend to be helpful. And then I'm also going to briefly talk about vitamin D because I used to have an article where I had my five top approaches and vitamin D was one of them. And I have had to demote vitamin D from the preferred approaches for fall prevention. As I'm going to explain, I still recommend vitamin D supplementation for all older adults in general. But there have been some changes in the guidelines related to vitamin D for fall prevention earlier this year. And so I'm going to just briefly cover that in case that's something you've heard of and been wondering about. So with no further ado, what are the four fall prevention approaches that I rely on the most? So I'll tell you what they are briefly, and then I'll go into slightly more detail. So briefly, they are, you know, one. Medication review with a special eye towards identifying medications that have been associated with falls and trying to stop, switch or reduce them if possible. Two, checking blood pressure, sitting and standing. Three, getting that evaluation of strength and balance and gait. There are three simple tests that could be done in the primary care office or people can be referred to physical therapy. And then four is home safety assessment and modification, ideally in collaboration with occupational therapy, if possible. So let me go through those again in just a little bit more detail. So first, medication review. So if you've been following the website or the podcast, you've probably noticed that in geriatrics, we spend a lot of time on medications for Older adults. Older adults are often taking a lot of medications, and many of them affect balance or thinking. And since for us, falls are a major concern, and then also helping people with their brain health are a major concern, we're often very interested in medications. Medications can also have lots of side effects for other reasons in older adults because as people get older, they just tend to become more vulnerable to the side effects of medications and also since they tend to be taking more medications the risk of interactions goes up. So, there are some a number of medications that are known to be associated with fall risk. And I have an article about them on the website and I also covered them on the podcast in episode 34. For myself, I've identified 10 types of medication that I think is useful to, to check for and reassess. They fall into basically three categories. One is medications that are psychoactive. So they're medications that affect the brain. Another category is medications that affect blood pressure. And medications in those two categories are on the list of CDC-recommended medications to be reassessed as part of fall prevention. And then I also personally reassess medications that lower blood sugar, obviously just for older adults who have diabetes. But diabetes affects an estimated 25% of people over age 65, so it's relevant to many of my older patients. So, if you want to see the list of 10 common types of medications associated with falls, just take a look at the article that I will post in the show notes. And if you're on any of those medications and you have been concerned about falls, then it is probably worth bringing up those medications to your regular healthcare provider and the CDC's recommendation is that medications associated with falls be stopped when possible, or switched to safer alternatives, or reduced to the lowest effective dose. So moving on to my the next item on my list of commonly used fall prevention approaches is checking blood pressure, sitting, and standing. So this is in a way related to that category of medications that affect blood pressure, because low blood pressure, or blood pressure that drops when people stands is most likely to be an issue in people who are taking medications for blood pressure to treat high blood pressure or because they have had heart conditions. Occasionally, people are also given blood pressure medications because of kidney conditions or fluid overload conditions. And then there's a category of medications that affect blood pressure, but they're not prescribed for high blood pressure. And those would be a category of medications that are prescribed actually for the enlarged prostate. They're prescribed to help men urinate. And one of the most commonly used medications in that class is Tamsulosin. The brand name is Flomax. So why do we check blood pressure sitting and standing. So two reasons. One is that some older adults are, even when they're sitting down, their blood pressure seems rather low and might be beneath one would consider a reasonable goal. Now, the question of what we would consider a reasonable goal for treating high blood pressure is complicated in of itself. I actually covered that in episode 18, but basically Geriatricians and some expert societies say, you know, start by trying to get the systolic number, that's the top number, less than 150, 140s is probably okay. The cardiologists prefer it to be lower, and there was this quite famous study sprint that was published a few years ago where they compared older adults who had a goal of uh, less than 140 to a goal of less than 120 and aiming for the lower goal did reduce cardiovascular events. Now, the absolute reduction was small, but, you know, it's statistically significant. And I get into the details of that study in the article, which I'll post a link to. I have an article in which I review the the study and the benefit of aiming for a lower blood pressure in, in great detail. But, you know, in that study, they checked blood pressure in a very careful way that they don't usually do in the office, and they also excluded a lot of people from the study. So for instance, if you had dementia, you were excluded from the study. So in terms of the the kinds of patients that I see and the kind of people that, you know, if, if you're listening to this podcast because you're worried about an older parent or someone, you know, your older parent might not have qualified for a study such as SPRINT. So to come back to the question of blood pressure sitting and standing. Certainly, if an older person is sitting down and their blood pressure is... Uh, the systolic is less than 120. One might consider whether it's worth bringing that up to the doctor, you know, what should be a reasonable goal, especially if the person has been falling. And what if we dialed back the blood pressure medication a bit? And then we check when people are standing because many older adults experience a drop in blood pressure when they stand and this can lead to some dizziness or lightheadedness. And so we check their blood pressure sitting and then we check when they're standing to make sure that one there's not a large drop of say more than 10 to 20 points and two that when they are standing that it's not below say a systolic of 110 that's you know probably where I would start getting concerned. So this technique of checking blood pressure sitting and standing in older adults who have been falling is often often overlooked that's been shown in studies of uh, you know, older adults who came to the emergency room because they had passed out or had a fall and they noticed that this particular check was often overlooked. So I bring it up because it's something that, that I always try to do when I'm seeing an older person who's had falls or where we're trying to reduce falls. So next item on my list is a strength and balance evaluation and also studying how the person walks. So the experts in doing this are physical therapy. They've been specially trained, but there are some simple tests that the CDC recommends people do in the primary care doctor's office. These are the timed up and go, which is when they uh, have an older adult sit in a chair and they get out a stopwatch and they say, go. And the older person has to stand up, walk a certain distance, turn around and sit back down. The next test is the 30-second chair stand, in which a health provider is supposed to count how many times an older person can stand up from a sitting position and sit back down and keep sort of moving from the sitting to standing position repeatedly within 30 seconds. And then the third test is the four-stage balance test, in which they sort of check to see if an older person can balance in a series of increasingly challenging standing positions. So these are all fairly simple tests. The CDC has sort of one to two page sheets posted online on how to do them. And I also have videos demonstrating how these are done on one of the site's pages on the page demonstrating the Otago physical therapy exercises. So if you want to learn more, I'll try to post a link for that as well. Doing these tests often confirms that an older adult has poor balance or diminished leg strength. These are so, so common in older people. They occur for a variety of reasons, but the kind of cool thing is that in most older adults who are at risk for falls, if you do a structured exercise program that builds up leg strength and that challenges balance, then strength improves, balance improves, and people really do experience fewer falls. So there's a particular physical therapy program called Otago that was developed in New Zealand that used to be promoted by the CDC, and I have a link showing the exercises for that. But also just this month, in September 2018, a study was published in which they randomized older adults at risk for falls to doing a special physical therapy for uh, strength and exercise. It wasn't Otago, but it had also been designed for fall prevention, They randomized older adults to that versus a special Tai Chi program. And then there was a third group that got just uh, stretching exercises and group visits. That was the control group. And in that study, the group that did Tai Chi was the one that had the fewest falls and did the best. The group that did the special exercise program that worked, that built up strength and balance also experienced fewer falls than the control group. But Tai Chi outperformed the, the exercise program. So that's kind of exciting and I'm planning to try to learn more about it. It was a special tai chi program that had been developed for balance and I'm not sure it's widely available, but in previous studies tai chi has actually been shown to to reduce falls. So, in short, as part of fall prevention, Uh, We want to start by first doing that assessment of the person's strength and balance, partly so that we have a a measurement. And later, if they go and do an exercise program, whether that's something at their local YMCA or a special physical therapy program or Tai Chi, we want to check those assessment exercises again, perhaps in six months and see if, uh, if they're better. Moving on to the fourth strategy that I recommend, home safety assessment and modification. So as you probably know, homes are often not ideally set up to reduce the risk of falls. And research suggests that assessing the home and making changes or modifications can reduce fall risk. The CDC does have on their study website a one-page checklist of things to check for and fix in the home. But actually, I found a checklist that is more thorough Uh, and also seems to have been very carefully developed online that I quite like. It's developed by the Occupational Therapy Geriatrics Group at the University of Buffalo. It's a home safety self-assessment tool, and it's a more extensive PDF that you can download and go through to identify hazards and also make suggestions on how to correct them. Now, research suggests that the very best results are achieved when the home assessment is done by a trained occupational therapist And also if it's possible to provide um, some support such as a handyman or someone to implement some of the interventions such as grab bars or a few of the other changes. To find out if you can get an occupational therapist in the home, you wanna start by asking your regular healthcare provider about it. It's not clear to me that it's always easy. So occupational therapy is included as part of skilled home health services. But Medicare usually only pays for that if a person is homebound and has a skilled need, or if they've recently been hospitalized. Otherwise, ask your healthcare provider and then also ask around. You can also try calling your local area agency on aging to find out if there are other ways to get an occupational therapist or other experts to the home to help with home modification if that's the route you wanna go. At a minimum, use one of these downloadable checklists, either the CDC one or the one from the University of Buffalo to get started. So those are the four approaches that I recommend. And so now, what about vitamin D? So a few years ago, I did have vitamin D on my list, and this was in part because the US Preventative Services Task Force had recommended vitamin D supplementation, as part of fall prevention for what we call community dwelling older adults, so that means older people who are not hospitalized and are not in nursing homes. But the uh, research evidence for vitamin D over the past few years has shifted a bit. You know, there have been follow-up studies done that have suggested that vitamin D supplementation does not make a difference for community dwelling older adults. So. The U.S. Preventative Services Task Force reviewed that recommendation over the past year. And earlier this year, I think it was in April, they issued revised recommendations and actually recommended against vitamin D supplementation to prevent falls in older adults. So they concluded that the research evidence does not support such a recommendation. Now, there are a couple important caveats. So, first of all, that's a recommendation about vitamin D that is just about fall prevention for community-dwelling older adults. So it's not really a judgment on the value of vitamin D supplementation for purposes other than fall prevention. And second, there is a pretty major caveat in their recommendation, which is that they say that this applies to community-dwelling adults who are not known to have osteoporosis or vitamin D deficiency. So those are some pretty significant exclusions. Lots of older adults, mostly older women, do have osteoporosis. And then the question of deficiency is a little bit tricky because experts also recommend that we don't go around checking everybody to see if they have deficiency, that instead we should just tell them all to take a supplement of 600 to 1,000 international units per day depending on the group and depending on the age of the person. Certainly for older adults, I think the recommendation is 800 international units per day from the National Academy of Medicine. So I won't go into more detail on vitamin D and the research about vitamin D right now. I did cover it in the podcast episode number 11, which was recorded a while ago, and I more recently updated my article on the site, on vitamin D, but my bottom line is that uh, I still recommend daily supplementation because I think if you don't take a supplement you 're at fairly high risk of being deficient it 's not clear that higher levels of vitamin D are are really necessary, but taking a daily supplement helps most people avoid frank deficiency, you know a really low level. What level constitutes deficiency is you know another hotly debated topic that I address. A bit in the article that I won't get into now. So, in short, if you're older, or actually if you're any age, I think uh, it's a good idea to take a vitamin D supplement for older adults. I recommend 800 to 1,000 international units, but don't count on this for making a dramatic difference in falls or necessarily in any other aspect of your health. It's it's not really clear. I recommend it mostly because I think it makes sense to avoid deficiency, especially since bone health is an important issue for so many older adults. And so now to return to the issue of fall prevention. So perhaps the most important strategy to apply is to be proactive in getting help. So as far as we can tell, it is still very common for older adults to not get as much help with fall prevention as they probably should. Part of this is because often older adults don't bring it up to their healthcare providers. They either think it's a normal part of aging, it's not, or they think nothing can be done, or they're embarrassed about it, or they're afraid they'll be told that they shouldn't be walking around without a cane or an assistive device. I mean, people have lots of reasons for for not bringing it up. And we also know that when they do bring it up, their health providers often don't take all the actions that are recommended by the CDC in terms of evaluating for risk factors and then applying interventions, both just these proven interventions that are applicable to most older adults or specific interventions that are relevant to whatever specific risk factors might have been identified for an older person. So falls are an important problem. Most of the time, they're just scary and embarrassing. But as you know, many of them cause life-changing injuries for older adults, either head injuries or broken hips or other broken bones. So as we go into fall and the winter, I just want to say that if you've been concerned about falls or if you've fallen, definitely tell your doctor, do a little homework before you go in. And be ready to ask about, you know, especially these four fall prevention approaches that we use over and over in geriatrics, which are getting your medications reviewed and then considering uh, stopping, switching, or reducing if you're on any of them that are associated with falls. You want to get your blood pressure checked, sitting, and standing, and talk about what the goal should be for your blood pressure control, especially if you're on medications for blood pressure. You want to have your uh, leg strength and balance and walking evaluated with those three simple tests or with physical therapy. And then you want to consider doing some kind of either special physical therapy program that practices balance and strength training or Tai Chi, because that has a good track record too. And then lastly, you want to do some form of home safety assessment Uh, You can either use a downloadable checklist from the CDC or the University of Buffalo, or if you're able to, get an occupational therapist to come out to the house and make more specific recommendations. I did, in revising a recent article for Better Health While Aging, create a little PDF download that lists a lot of my favorite resources or links to the relevant articles. So I'll post that as well in the show notes. So knowledge is power. I hope that this episode and the related resources will help you get the help that you need and deserve from your healthcare providers in reducing your fall risk or the fall risk of someone you care about. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Better Health While Aging. If you have any questions about something you heard in this episode, you can post it on the show notes page for the episode. I'll also be posting some links to some of the resources that I mentioned in the episode. To find the show notes, visit BetterHealthWhileAging.net and click Podcast in the main menu at the top. Last but not least, if you've been enjoying the podcast, don't forget to support us by subscribing on iTunes. And if you've already done that, please leave a rating and review. This makes it easier for others to discover our show in iTunes. And I would love for the many people who are interested in health or aging or family caregivers to be able to find it and give it a chance. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Leslie Kernison, and I'm looking forward to you joining us for future episodes.